Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's time for Clicking On Lending. Welcome, everybody. Good to have you with us. Welcome to Lickin' On Lending, a weekly mortgage market update providing up-to-the-minute information on interest rates, loan programs, and hot industry news, all related to the mortgage industry. Brought to you by Transformational Mortgage Solutions. To participate in today's program, our guest call-in line is 646-716-4972. Now here's your host of Lickin' On Lending, David Lickin'. Let's begin. Welcome, everybody. Good to have you with us. It is November 8th, 2021. We're ready for another Lickin' on Lending podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. This podcast is created by mortgage professionals. It is for mortgage professionals, and we're so grateful to have you as our listener. Again, our commitment is to bring you timely information in an audio format that you can listen to anytime and anywhere. We talk about timely information. We've got Nick Blinke joining us, Chief Revenue Officer for Surefire at Black Knight, recently acquired by Black Knight. So we're going to be really looking forward to this interview. I had a chance to get to know Nick at the conference. We sat down there for a while. And it's a great story here. And more than just a great story, it's a great product, great company. You know, we're going to be talking about some of the trends. We're talking about some of the forecast declines in revenue and refinance volume. What are others doing? What are the strategies lenders can employ have success in 2022. It's already November, starting to look to 2022. So Nick's going to give share some of that information. He's the chief revenue officer, so responsible for revenue. I think he's a good guy to go to. And obviously, Black Knight saw value in this company. They acquired the company. So we're going to get into a good interview in the Hot Topic segment. So stay tuned all the way through to the second half of the podcast. Excited to be a part of the Industry Syndicate, industrysyndicate.com. Check out all of the podcasts that are there and as well as listen to them. Check them out. Podcasts are becoming a major thing. We talked about this while we listened to Malcolm Gladwell at the conference and how he was riding the subway and riding in and saw everyone that used to be reading papers now having their earbuds in and listening to something. What are you listening to, he asked. Well, I'm listening to a podcast. So he created a podcast and it is taken off and does very well. So Alice and I were forerunners. We were here at the very, very beginning. And so we're just thrilled to be here with you. I am binging on a new author and speaker that I want to share with you real briefly. Sean Core is his name. It's A-C-H-O-R. Google him. It's Sean, S-H-A-W-N, a core. And he has a book out there, but it's the big potential, big potential. And go out and download, listen to his TED Talk, listen to his interview that he had with Brene Brown. Brene is one of my favorite people because she talks about shame and talks about how we got to get past, moving past shame. Really good stuff. You're going to enjoy that material. But I'm highlighting it. So I've been binging on this, on happiness. And he's a scientist on happiness. Scientist. You go like, what the heck is that? Well, Bobby Nicely, one of my clients and one of the partners in Alcoba Mortgage, sent that over to me over the weekend. And man, I'm so glad he did. Having a great time learning more about the power of happiness, the power of how to unlock your full potential. And it says, transforming the pursuit of success raises your achievement, happiness, and well-being. It says, 
most people say you got to be happy before you get successful in order to get there. Check it out. We've got links in the podcast. I'm enjoying it. Love to get your feedback on that. I want to say a special thank you to our sponsors, the Mortgage Bankers Association of America. Be sure to listen to the podcast we did recently and Mike Fratt and Tony. Also, the Finastra Fusion Mortgage Bot Solution does a great job of helping lenders connecting and creating a positive experience through their platform. With the consumer, we talked about uh, CX, UNUX, with Karen Jenkins on October 4th. Go back and listen to that podcast, especially for those of you in the tech world. Got a lot of technology companies, people in the tech world, or inter-tech companies. In other words, you're a tech department, tech company within your company. Love that concept. Or you're inventing new ideas. Check out what some of the things that Karen Jenkins is doing at Finastra and leading their organization into thought leadership and the direction. So, Check it out. Also, Lenders One and the Mortgage Collaborative, both of these co-ops do a great job of connecting lenders with other lenders as well as vendors. And it's more up close and personal way to connect with your peers. Get updates on what's going on. Also, the Community Mortgage Lenders of America, grateful for their sponsorship, as well as Incelerate. Josh Friend does a great job of connecting lenders with their clients. He has a great, powerful CRM tool that he uses. It's an engagement platform. Check out Incelerate.com. And listen to the podcast from June 21st with Josh Friend. Also, Ken Perry has a great product called Knowledge Group. Grateful for him. He and I are also part of a mastermind group called 7A. We were at the conference there. I love the energy of this company, the culture that Ken is bringing to his company and also those that use his service. Also, three other companies I want to bring your attention to, Mobility MMI as well as Modex. Both of these companies help you in the recruiting effort. Pick out and get a real data, real data, not inflated data, not embellished data. Well, Mobility, MMI, and Modex helps you find the right person at the right time to connect with, to get on board. And then also SnapDocs. So thrilled to have them as a sponsor. Amy and the group at SnapDocs is just outstanding. We had a recent interview with Bashal there, and I just encourage you to download and listen to that. SnapDocs is one of the up-and-coming companies. But anyway, pay attention to SnapDocs and check out what they're doing. Also, finally, a special thank you goes to Rob Les, Alice Allen, and now Jack Nunner is becoming a co-host with me on the podcast. So it's so good to have you all here. We're going to get into the podcast now with the MBA Mortgage Minute with a update from Rob Van Raphorst. Rob? Hi, I'm Rob Van Raphorst. Welcome to the Mortgage Minute and the latest news from the Mortgage Bankers Association. Last week, the FOMC of the Federal Reserve announced its plans to begin tapering its purchases of Treasury Securities and Agency MBS. The Fed had been increasing its holdings of both by $80 billion and $40 billion, respectively. But beginning this month, it will reduce these purchases each month by $10 billion and $5 billion. If the Fed were to continue on this path, it would cease adding to the size of its portfolio by mid-2022. These actions were anticipated in MBA's latest forecast, which projects that 30-year mortgage rates will increase to about 4% by the end of 2022. And according to MBA's latest forbearance and call volume survey, the total number of loans now in forbearance has decreased to 2.06% with an estimated 1 million homeowners currently in forbearance plans. That's it for this week. Thank you for joining me. Good job, Rob. By the way, sign up for the Mortgage Action Alliance app to become a member of the MBA. If you're not, they do such an amazing job of what they're doing for our industry. Bob Brooksmith, Marsha Davies, the whole leadership team, all of them there. 
does such an outstanding job. Pete Mills there with the Independent Mortgage Bankers Initiative. There's just so much going on with the MBA. If you're not a member, become a member and also download the Mortgage Action Alliance app. I want to make sure that's unpunctuated out there. You can find it in the App Store. Have your voice heard on D.C. All right, let's get over to Les Parker with this week's TM Spotlight and a macro view of the markets and see what Les has for a music parody. Here we go. Les. TM Spotlight Soundbites is brought to you by Power Seller, making hedging easy. Bye bye, Doug. Bye bye, peacefulness. Hello, rowdiness. MBS going to cry. Bye bye, the Fed buying. As expected, it will reduce its purchase of treasuries by $10 billion and mortgage-backed securities by $5 billion. The news increased rates and volatility. Then came Friday, with China's real estate bond default problems and signs of it impacting the cost and availability of credit in other Asian countries. So, gold and treasury prices rose. Watch the bulls take control of the bond while mortgages enjoy the drama. Hello, rowdiness. Rates feel like they're going to die. Bye-bye, Fed Dove. Goodbye. These views are my own. Find a good buy at tmspotlight.com. Good job, Les Parker. Gary Cantrabone teaming up on that. That was uh, That's music from my era. So, yeah. Matt Graham is here to give us his perspective on what's happening this week. Matt, good to have you here, bud. What's up? Great to be here, Dave. So let's talk about the market. Crazy stuff. And a few additional tidbits that Les didn't mention that I had a little bit of a different take, not an opposite take, just extra stuff that was going on. But we'll get to that in a second. So, yes, the big news last week, uh, actually, it wasn't news, but the Fed tapering uh, asset purchases. We knew that was coming. We knew it was likely to be 10 billion treasuries, 5 billion MBS. At first, there was a little bit of confusion and a little bit of a negative reaction in the bond market because a couple of the news wires made it seem like the tapering amount was bigger than expected. But when we looked a little bit closer, we could see that was only due to the fact that they were implementing it right away and saying that the first reduction would occur by the middle of November, next reduction by the middle of December. And so some of the headlines talked about a $20 billion a month reduction in treasuries, but it was a reference to where it would be at the end of 2021. So two consecutive months of $10 billion reductions equals $20 billion. Translation, no big deal. Bonds weren't freaked out. There really wasn't even a huge reaction in terms of volume or volatility. Ten-year yields rose a little bit. MBS fell a little bit. But in essence, the bigger mover of the day ended up being the ISM non-manufacturing yeah. report at 10 a.m., and we can see that pushing yields up very clearly at 10 a.m. That was a record number for ISM services. You know, for people that are saying, oh, the economy is terrible. Well, not every piece of data agrees with that. Right. And I'm not here to cheerlead for the economy. Yeah. It was a notable one. And the other notable thing that we talked about last week is that bonds had rallied in the past after the Fed had tapered. It did take a few weeks in 2013, but it was nonetheless interesting. In fact, bonds have rallied every time the Fed has stopped buying bonds or announced that, that they're stopping buying bonds. And we were wondering, you know, did the market sell off enough between this announcement and the year and a half leading up to it? Because really the liftoff process began in August 2020. So quite a lot of time has passed. And the answer seems to have been, yes, the market sold off enough that this could be taken in stride. And in fact, Thursday morning, 
we were greeted with a big rally in the bond market, which was big enough to sort of be a little bit surprising to some. And people started to scramble to try to explain what this was all about. And I think that even the savviest market watchers saying things like, we're not entirely sure what's going on here, but it seems like it has to do with the Bank of England because the Bank of England was out with their announcement on Thursday morning. There was definitely uncertainty as to how they were going to play things. And they ended up taking a slightly more dovish, aka rate-friendly approach. And the market movement on Thursday morning coincided very well with that announcement and with their press conference. Several speakers from the BOE made comments that could be construed as fairly dovish, saying things like, we do have inflation in the short term, but we expect that to go away when supply constraints go away. And we also are cognizant of the fact that it is supply driven, not demand driven. And there's uncertainty about how that's going to play out. But at the same time, we know we have a pandemic and we know COVID numbers are really bad in the UK. So we're going to err on the side of caution and accommodation. Bond markets like that, for those that aren't looking at this correlation every morning, like I am, there's a ton of correlation between UK 10-year yields and US 10-year yields. Same thing with German 10-year which is effectively the EU tenure because Germany is by far and away the biggest economy in the EU. And when there is that much momentum in the UK, then it's going to spill over to U.S. 10-year yields to some extent, U.S. bond market in general. And it did. Thursday just sort of got us back in line with the low yields of the week. But then Friday, we had the jobs report. The jobs report was strong, stronger than expected, positive revisions to the previous month. Some naysayers were pointing to the fact that the labor force didn't pick up as much as they thought it should be for people coming back into the workforce. But nonetheless, I mean, it was a strong report and bonds did not rally because of some read of the internal components of that data. Rather, bonds rallied on Friday because the jobs report didn't really compel them to sell off. And the Bank of England was back again with additional speakers offering additional clarification and dovish comments on the previous day's decision. And it caused a big rally in UK yields, big enough to put downward pressure on US yields. And that's when the magic happened because the market is very, very short, meaning traders are positioned for yields moving higher. They're betting on yields moving higher. They're short selling the bond market. And at a certain point, if something were to come along and unexpectedly push yields lower, push prices higher, it forces them to cover their short positions. And they do that by buying bonds. And that in turn pushes yields lower, forces the next short position to cover, and it's a bit of a snowball effect, otherwise known as a short squeeze, that can sort of flush out all of the negative momentum in the market and make for a little bit of a reset. And with yields moving a bit higher this morning, that may have run its course, but it was impressive and much larger than expected on Friday with yields dropping all the way down into the 1.43-ish at the lows, and even now just a hair under 1.5. So really impressive rally. And an unexpected rally on a week with a strong jobs report and with the Fed announcing tapering. But like we always say, if you have a bunch of money to bet on the bond market and you can reasonably predict something is going to happen and, you know, as close to 100% certainty as you could have that the Fed was going to taper, then you price these things in ahead of time, maybe with a little bit of overrun. And in that sense, it's not a surprise to see markets go where more current and less predictable events take them. And that's what the Bank of England did last week. This week is a little bit more of a wild card. We have a condensed treasury auction cycle. In fact, while we were waiting to start the podcast today, the three-year treasury auction came in weaker than expected and pushed yields up a little bit. Tomorrow's a 10-year, following day is a 30-year. Those are typically important 
for momentum in the short term. And no reason to expect that they won't be this time around if they fall outside of their forecast or average ranges. CPI Wednesday morning, yeah, we're tuned into inflation data, but it has to be kind of far from expectations to move the needle. Other than that, Veterans Day on Thursday, so that's going to kind of mute the tone of trading on Wednesday afternoon and probably make Friday a relative ghost town in terms of trader participation. Not to say there won't be market activity, it just won't necessarily be indicative of a fully liquid market. So we can't necessarily read too much into any potentially interesting movements or apparently interesting movements because they might not end up being that interesting by the following week. Oh, and then last but not least, Dave, just because I know people may be wondering, infrastructure deal passed over the weekend. I've gotten a lot of questions on MBS Live as to whether or not that is a market mover for the bond market. And the general response is that it used to be when it was a, a new idea and we're pretty numb to it at this point, And it really didn't have any impact over the weekend. No immediate jump in futures in early overnight trading. And like I said, we're numb to it. it it's the house that passed it. It still has to get through the Senate. So we'll see what happens and then where that's at. But lots of good stuff. I love your website. I mean, there's great information. You've got the live news stream. You don't have to have the TVs on. You just click on this. I have one screen on. Anyone who's dialed in and had a conference call, Zoom call with me, they see this in the background. It's MBS Live. It's always here. And it's because I can whirl around and look exactly what's going on in real time. I love what you do. You're doing a great job and appreciate more than anything else. Also making your product available of our trial on an extended basis without a credit card by putting in the code LOL for looking on lending. Thank you, sir. Appreciate it. You got it. Have a great rest of your week, Dave. Alice Alvey is here. She's CMB Vice President of Education and Training at Union Home Mortgage, and she's got this week's legislative update. Hey, Alice, I, you remember where we first met? That Texas Mortgage Bankers event. That's right. My old partners, Andy and Chuck, we put on an event, and this was when I was with a partner at MBS, Mortgage Bank Solutions, and I'm speaking next week. I'm going to be up there. Back in that same spot, brought back memories of us. So anyway, Alice, what do you got for us, friend? So there's been a little more press and a lot of buzz about the fact that New York has now signed as a state law that non-banks have to, you know, independent mortgage bankers essentially need to comply with Community Reinvestment Act laws. And this has always been something that's been, I think, as a lender, very difficult to wrap your heads around because you go, I thought the CRA was about the fact that banks takes money from a community and therefore should be reinvesting back into the commuting that, that it is taking deposits from. That was really one of the original premises for this law, among yep. other things. How do I pick that up and apply it to a lender who does not take deposits? What's starting to become the model is the state of Massachusetts has actually had this for decades. They have had a CRA requirement that applied to non-banks. So there's two groups that are really struggling with it. It's not only independent mortgage bankers, but it's also credit unions. There's a group of smaller credit unions that also struggle with this level of compliance and scrutiny because it takes money. It takes an investment to be able to look at what products do I have to offer? What extra activities do I have to be involved in? And how do I measure this if I'm not a depository or like in a credit union case, I have a specific member base and that's who I'm supposed to be serving. Am I measured against that base for being able to contribute back into community? So there's a lot of complexity with this. For those of you who haven't had a chance to check out how some of this might work, it is time as an independent mortgage banker to pay attention to it. You can take a look at the way Massachusetts structures it. Illinois has signed a law also, but they have not codified all the rules and how it's going to be executed. 
suited. So really our best example is looking at how some of the examinations have gone for the state of Massachusetts and how some of those peer comparisons have been drawn. So they use a rating system. They look at the products that you're offering. Are they going to be assisting low to moderate income borrowers? If you're a servicer, they look at how you're assisting borrowers who are struggling with payments and as they get into that loss mitigation phase. There are several components to it that require as a lender that I'm making an effort to offer products and support my borrowers in servicing who are in that low to moderate income range. I think as an industry, we have to try and figure out how to embrace I see it like the SAFE Act at this point. When you get a big state like New York that buys in, once we started hitting three and four states that were implementing loan officer licensing, it got rapid trajectory from there before it became federal law. So you might as well take a look. You know, how would we address this? How would we look today if we were measured? And I think make sure as an industry we get all behind it on how we are. At what level are we okay with this? Because if we say we're not okay at any of it, that's the power of negotiation. I have to try and figure out well, maybe we're starting at I don't want any in hopes that we only get one baby step in. Larger institutions, I understand, you know, top five, top mega lenders that are out there. It makes sense that what we make sure that there isn't any discriminatory or practices that put up barriers. But for the smaller companies, there should be an exemption line, in my humble opinion, because it is difficult to try and put all the resources together to comply. At the end of the day, we all have an obligation to make sure we're not putting up barriers. And that we can do on a daily basis to take all the applications we can, right? That's what we keep saying about independent mortgage bankers. We never turn away an applicant. So we want every deal we can out there. So that's just my two cents, Dave, as lenders have to start thinking about this a little bit more. Don't look at it as just one more state on the list. There does seem to be something that is going to start brewing at uh, state-by-state levels, and we should be paying attention to it. Yep, I think you brought up a good point earlier this year, saying the shift is going from the CFPB on a national basis to the to local CFPBs, the equivalents, inside of each of the states. And the regulatory shift has gone to state, which is making this thing so much more complicated, Alice, from that standpoint. is One thing is to monitor CFPB, look what's going on. They certainly haven't gone away. There's action being taken. But more tensions and focus needs to be put at the state. You raise up a great point. Good job. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for being here all these years. Say hi to Andy, your husband. Appreciate you and have you participate in the Hot Topic segment. Thank you so much. Let's get over to Alan Pollock with the tech update. Alan, good to have you here with this week's tech update. What's going on? Oh, a little bit of everything. So we're going to talk about health checks, not the kind that the government is asking us to have. I'm talking about security health checks. We're going to talk about that in a minute. But first, David, because I always bring information about (laughs) restaurants and all the robots that work those restaurants, you didn't know, but now you do, that McDonald's has been testing out a fully robotic ordering system that uses voice and IBM Watson. Actually, IBM acquired McDonald's Labs, but they're 85% accurate. And I chuckled when I read it because (laughs) that's probably a high level of accuracy based on how often you go to a drive-thru and your order's wrong. But... That's just my own opinion. So let's move ahead. This is really cool, David. The Cheesecake Factory, get this. You thought the mortgage industry was complex? I'm going to make everybody leave this podcast today with nothing but excitement of how simple the mortgage industry is. The Cheesecake Factory has a 500-page employee training manual. It has an entire page about how to handle strawberries, 12 steps 
on hot tea service. And get this, 42 words to use when describing a cheesecake. And the complexity extends because they have 170 workers in every single location. It's a 21-page menu in addition. During the pandemic, they almost lost the business, and they said it was saved by cheesecakes. So it's a great article. You could just Google it, check it out. But if you thought our industry was complex, imagine trying to manage or work more or make cheesecakes for the Cheesecake Factory. So, David, with Veterans Day on its way, that kind of rhymes. Fairway Mortgage, Fairway Independent Mortgage, I should say, they're going to deliver 100 service dogs to vets. And I thought this story is just so awesome. They have an initiative. It's called the American Warrior Initiative. And uh, they are on track to deliver a record 100 service dogs to deserving military service members. So hats off to you, Fairway. By the way, in 2021 this year, David, they have already delivered 65 service dogs. And they've also partnered with the Milwaukee Brewers to donate service dogs to U.S. Army veterans and such. So great thing there. By the way, I personally give to the Wounded Warrior Foundation. They're here in Jacksonville, and they do a ton of stuff. And my daughter, for her senior project, one of the things she had to do for part of her college application is she actually became a student advocate, and she's also raising money for the Wounded Warrior Foundation. So there's a lot of amazing places you can help raise money or donate money. You should check it out. It's a great remembrance that we have coming up this week and for anyone that, you know, is in our path. David, if you worked at a lender and you operationally, would you use a voice-activated appraisal management system? Absolutely. You would. Okay. So you would say, using Alexa, hey, Alexa, I would like to understand where the appraisal for the Johnson file is. Or, hey, Alexa. I would like to place an order, an appraisal, please, with ABC Company for Mr. Johnson. You would do that. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. All right. Well, it's a voice-activated <laughs> appraisal management system just recently released in the industry. Global DMS has the technology. If you haven't heard about it, the press release, I think, just came out. So check it out. It's called My Evo. I personally, David, don't know if I would use Alexa in the office. But now that we all work from home, I mean, hey, Alexa's there. Might as well use it. So just the fact that it's voice recognition, it's a big deal here, not that it's on Alexa. It's awesome technology. Check it out, Global DMS. David, this is the big topic I want to talk about today, and I bet you Jack is going to nod his head after I say this. The question is, do you need a CISO, okay? For those of you that don't know, it's a chief information and security officer. And the answer is absolutely 1,000%. Yes, you must have this person. Their job, by the way, they're not the CIO. They're not the CTO. They're not your VP of technology. The CISO's job is to oversee a team and all of the risks facing your enterprise and put the necessary controls and security technologies and processes and assurances in place to minimize all of the risks to your organization. And they are empowered to manage that. Now, what's really interesting is you work with a lot of vendors. If you're a lender listening to this, or if you're a vendor talking with many lenders or other vendors, this is extremely important. I'm going to start first from the lender side. For all of our listeners that are lenders, you must do a health check. This is what I'm referring to a lot earlier with your policies and procedures and your vendors. They have to go through SOC audit. They have to go through penetration tests, and they have to get those updated and renewed and they have to test those controls, please make sure you reach out to your vendors and you make sure that they are providing you with an update. Now, as vendors, right, we're all very diligent. We have to do this to close more deals and to sell to banks and credit unions. So we have it. It's not that you're going to find an open hole. 
and say to a vendor, I can't believe you don't have this. No, it's you need that updated information for your CISO. And what you need to do, by the way, is you need a plan. Should there be any type of data issue that occurs with any of your vendors, what is your plan on how you're going to handle that information? Do you call your insurance company first? Do you call a forensic auditor? Do you contact borrowers? What are the state laws on when you contact borrowers? There's a lot of gray areas you need to work through. A CISO will put your plan in place. So David, we'll leave it there today. We'll talk about the CISO role on the vendor side next week, but I can't wait for the second half of the podcast today. Thank you everyone for being our listeners and you know how to get all the meat or David. Let's talk yeah. about my contact info. It's Alan, A-L-L-E-N, at TMS-advisors.com. Yes, and Alan, thank you so much. Great feedback. You bring up some of the most extemporaneous stuff sometimes. It's just uh, out there, and we appreciate it. People comment on it. So appreciate you, Alan. Thank you for being here. Jack, as you look over to the first half of the podcast here real quickly, any reflection and thoughts here, co-host? I'm so excited to have you as a co-host. Yeah, I've got a couple, David. You know, when we go to back to Matt's commentary, you know, one of the things, that I've been focusing on is keeping my ear to the ground with the commentary that's coming out of the various folk at the Fed about when they believe we're going to see the next interest rate hikes. And what I'm hearing is, is that really nothing's going to happen in terms of interest rate hikes until we get through the tapering. And then we're looking at one to possibly two hikes up mm-hmm. in the second half of 2022. In fact, the St. Louis Fed president, James Bullard, made a comment that he expects the central bank to raise interest rates twice in 2022. So that's just one thing I'm focused on is what is the chatter coming out of the Fed? What Alan was talking about, of course, he was correct. I was nodding my head in agreement with him about cybersecurity. Kind of interesting, David, I was talking to my son. He's got more degrees than a thermometer, and he was telling me he was going back for yet a third degree. And I kind of gave him one of those, oh, you've got to be kidding, right? And he said, no, no, he said, but I'm going to get my degree in cybersecurity. And and Ah, I thought, you finally finally. hit something that made it with me. Some of the thresholds or disclosure to consumers vary so greatly from state to state. And you really got to have somebody sitting on top of that because there is a very high level of complexity around these thresholds. I mean, forget for a moment the action that when you have a breach or a vendor that has a breach that you're associated with, what do you do next? Just staying on top of of the different thresholds, state to state, on when you have to disclose to consumers that a breach has taken place. So I thought that was a really nice way to finish up by Alan. I am in. 85% getting my order right going through the drive-thru because really I I think 50-50 right now, Alan. Yeah, that's so funny. Yeah, I would would agree, Jack. You have to check your order before you pull away or or that's it. You've got whatever you got. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. and you started off, Alan, talking about you know, ask Alexa, would you feel comfortable doing that? Well, Union Home has absolutely crushed it because they don't ask Alexa, they ask Alice. They have a system that's voice commanded and it's ask Alice. That was such a cool thing. So glad that Bill and team there honored you with that. That's such a cool piece of technology. Is that being used a lot, Alice? So, David, yes. We have an average of 10,000 questions asked per month. So, if you think of 10,000, all those questions would have been going to your underwriters, your loan officer, your branch managers. So, yeah, we're really proud of the system that we've built. It's uh, it's super cool, super high-tech. Alice, have your team reach out to me, or if you want to connect, I have a really cool idea. I'd love to 
share with you guys if you want to move forward with it. Then all the merrier. I love Make it a note. Make it a note. Folks, that wraps up the first part of the the podcast. That's our lenders update. So good to have you with us for the first part. For those of you listening live, stay right here. We're going to move right into the hot topic segment. And for those of you listening on a downloaded basis, just go on to the next podcast because that's what we're moving to. Folks, that wraps up this week's podcast. Next week, we got Pete. Paglia coming on of Homebiter. I met Pete at that conference and I invited him to come on the podcast because I'm looking at ways we can create stickiness. How can you, the lender, maybe you said think about repeat business. The mortgage industry is pathetic of all the industries out there. I don't know if we're the worst, but we've got to be near the bottom of the whole market and drawing people to stay with us. And a way to do that is up through a home buyer product, Home Binder. And we talked a little bit about that. Again, we're focusing a little bit on this part of the year on forward-looking strategies that you can employ in 2022. So be sure to come back next week for the Hot Topic segment. Talk about that. Special thank you to our sponsors, Finastra, CMLA, Lenders One, Accelerate Mobility, MMI, the MBA, Knowledge Coop, Mortgage Collaborative, and SnapDocs. So glad to have all of you as sponsors. Thank you. And thank you, listeners, for being here, sharing this podcast with others. And uh, reach out and get a hold of Nick. You'll enjoy the conversation also getting insights into the bigger vision there. We didn't get a chance to get into all that we could have, but I think you can. He'll open up with you when you're calling him directly. So good to have you with us, everyone. Have a great week. Look forward to having you back here next week. You've been listening to Lickin' on Lending, a weekly mortgage market update with your host, David Lickin of Transformational Mortgage Solutions. Join us next week, and thanks for listening. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, We've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. (gasps) No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.